This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Today we're talking about saying yes to God's eternal life and also God's life at work, His plan for you. This is the week of Passover and also Easter, known in some circles as Resurrection Sunday. And as we remember, Passover commemorates God's deliverance of the Jewish people, His people, from slavery in Egypt. And Easter commemorates God's deliverance of all people from slavery to sin. At the time of the original Passover in Egypt, God's people had to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of their homes. And this was to avoid the 10th plague. And the 10th plague was the death of the firstborn person in every household. Now, mind you, there had been nine plagues before, all designed to convince Pharaoh to let God's people go. And yet God knew that Pharaoh would not let his people go, so he was going to leave Pharaoh with a final and tenth plague that was more horrific than all the plagues before. Some of the plagues before were flies and gnats and all the water turned to blood and so many other aspects like this. Yet for this 10th plague down in Goshen, which is where the people of God were separated and where they were living their lives unto God, even though enslaved in Egypt, God gave them instruction. And he said, you are to slaughter the Passover lamb and you're to put the blood on each doorpost of every house. And he gave specific instructions about how that was to be done. And the idea was that as the death angel passed through the land, when he would see the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, he would pass over that house and not visit that house with death. Now, of course, the Egyptians, they weren't living in Goshen, they weren't following God, and they weren't listening to God's instructions. And so, when this fateful day occurred, they did not have blood on their doorpost. And consequently, in every Egyptian household, someone, a firstborn, died in those homes. All of this that happened on the Passover foreshadowed God's greater deliverance of his people through the shed blood of Yeshua, his Messiah. This was to be a permanent and once for all Passover lamb. In Israel's history, the Jews had to sacrifice many lambs in order to be forgiven for sin. This lamb, who would take away the sins of the world, would be in the person of Jesus Christ, 100% man, 100% God. He was a sinless and perfect sacrifice, just like the Passover lambs 
also had to be. Although what was different is that each and every year, the Passover lamb would have to be sacrificed again. And the people's sins, if you will, would be rolled forward until the next year. Once God's Messiah came on the scene, the Passover lamb died once and for all. Both Jew and Gentile would now be covered by the Lamb of God. This is a pretty powerful concept, the fact that we are covered by the blood of God's Messiah. We are protected from eternal death and eternal separation from God, not just from temporary and not just from physical death. Now, in Egypt, God's people, the Jewish people, had to demonstrate their belief in God's promise by putting the blood of the Lamb on their doorpost as instructed. And today, God has provided the Passover Lamb again so that the death angel will pass over us. And in order for that to happen, we must also accept his designated Lamb, the Messiah of God. And when we accept God's provision and sacrifice of his son as the lamb, then we are covered by the blood of Yeshua and the death angel passes over us. Now, there are some promises of God that are automatic and do not require a specific action from us. For example, God has ordained that as long as the earth is here, we will have four seasons. Winter, spring, summer, and fall will have all four. He's also promised that he will reign his reign and shine his sun on both the just and the unjust. So even those who are not following him will still have sun and rain for their crops, just like those who are following him also have sun and rain for their crops. Now, will he do something more special for his people? quite likely and possibly. However, he does not fully withhold sun and rain from those who are not following him. Then there are other promises of God that require a response. So if God's people back in Egypt had not placed the blood of the lamb on their doorposts, then like the Egyptians, they would have been visited by the death angel and the firstborn members of their households would have died. And you might be wondering why I'm talking about this. Of course, it's Passover and Easter. Stay tuned and stay with me because there is a lesson that does apply to the workplace, which I will also share. And you might think that if someone in the community has failed to put the blood on the doorpost and they've experienced death in their home, then surely they would wake up and say, oh, I should have done what God said, and now they're going to listen. And the next message that comes, which says, pack up hastily, take all of your belongings, ask for goods and provisions from the Egyptians, and even pack your bread without any yeast in it, and make haste to get out of the land. That was the next instruction. You would think that those who didn't follow the first instruction, they'd be more inclined to follow the next instruction. Yet that is not usually how it works. Here's what really happens. When we obey God and experience the blessing of God, that leads to more obedience on our part. 
we recognize we've been saved from a great destruction. The firstborn in our house did not die. Oh, thank you, Lord. And now we're more primed and ready to obey the next instruction. On the other hand, when we choose to disobey what God has said, it leads to more disobedience. And one of the reasons is because we are now experiencing the consequences of not following God's instructions. And that includes in the case of the firstborn, now there's mourning in that house. People have experienced death. And in mourning and in the despondency of being so downcast over the loss, it's very difficult then to get ready to obey the next instruction. I think a good example of this is what happened to Judas. Judas became exceedingly sorrowful after he betrayed Jesus, and then he saw what was going to happen to Jesus and that Jesus was going to be crucified. And even though he was exceedingly sorrowful about this, what he did is he tried to return to the chief priest at the time. He returned to the chief priest and he said, oh, I was wrong. I should not have done that. And he tried to give them back the 30 pieces of silver that he had received for the betrayal. And the chief priest and the Pharisees said, oh no, we can't accept that money. That's blood money. So Judas being very upset and despondent, he still threw the money in the temple and left. And as a result of throwing that money into the temple, they ultimately used it as a potter's field for those people who were indigent, who were poor and didn't have money for burial ground or a final resting place. And so instead of repenting, instead of returning to God, instead of deciding to follow God's subsequent instructions, Judas went out and he hanged himself. He killed himself. He committed suicide. So he added one form of disobedience to another form of disobedience. So we sometimes fool ourselves when we think, well, if I don't follow God today, I'll follow him tomorrow in whatever I'm doing. Same thing's true of Pharaoh. He would ask Moses, oh, ask God to remove this plague and take it away from us. And surely I will let you go, you and your people. And each time the plague was removed, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he still didn't do the right thing. So here's the thing we have to remember is that when we obey God, it puts us in a position to have even more revelation and even more blessing from God. So in the case of the Jews who left Egypt, after this first Passover, this Passover with the blood of the lamb on the door, they later then crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. And that was with enemies chasing after them. And what God did is closed up the Red Sea on their enemies after the enemies were in the middle of the Red Sea. As they wandered in the wilderness, those Jews who obeyed God at the time of Passover, they had the opportunity to eat manna in the wilderness. And manna was a heavenly food, angel's food, if you will, that God provided for them supernaturally. They didn't have to grow it or plant it, cultivate it every day. God provided it for them with the morning frost and the morning dew. 
And just to test them also, they couldn't gather more than they needed for that one day. And if they did gather more, it would turn into worms and it wouldn't be any good the next day. And the only exception is God thinking of everything allowed them to gather twice as much on the sixth day so that there'd be no gathering on the seventh day. And those who were disobedient and didn't gather twice as much on the sixth day, well, I guess they were on a fast for the seventh day because they did not have any food to eat on the seventh day. So this walk with God is a trust walk day by day. And day by day, he's saying, will you trust me to provide your food every day? Because I know you need your food every day. Those who were saved in that first Passover, they also in the wilderness drank water from the rock, the rock that on their own would not have produced water, but God saw it and his supernatural provision to give them water from the rock in the middle of a deserty kind of land. So we know that they then were drinking God's water and benefiting from Jehovah Jireh, their provider, his provision. God also allowed them to drink water that once had been bitter. And this bitter water, God turned into sweet water that could be consumed and not be water that had death in it. So as we are walking in the wilderness of life on this earth, and we know that the earth is fallen because of sin in the garden with Adam and Eve, and also because we still now have a sin nature and we too sin in our lives. So we're living in this fallen world. And even so, as we're walking through the wilderness of this fallen world, we are heading to an eternal promised land. Now, this eternal promised land is one that no one can take away from us. When we think about the physical promised land over in Israel today, that land is subject to war. People can be cast out of the land and there can be conflicts in the land. And there were large periods of time when God's people were taken out of their land. However, the eternal home that we're going to, the spiritual promised land, when we get there, there will be no criminals there. There will be no enemies there. We can live in peace and safety with God forever. Not subject to war, not subject to sin, not subject to crime. Now, let us remember that the older generation that went through the wilderness with the Jews coming out of Egypt, many of those continued to disobey God in the wilderness. And as such, they did not make it to the physical promised land. Of that older generation, only Joshua and Caleb made it into the physical promised land. Moses didn't even get there because on one occasion, God asked him to speak to the rock. And instead, he hit the rock to produce water for the people. And he also murmured and complained against the people, saying something like, must we do X, Y, and Z for you? 
And of course, God was not pleased because only God could do what God was doing. It wasn't Moses. God was working through Moses, but it was not Moses. So only Joshua and Caleb, two spies that said, it's a good land. It's full of milk and honey and abundant fruit. They saw the giants there. They knew the danger that was there. However, they also believed that God was able to sustain them in the land that he had promised. And so they encouraged the people to move forward and take possession of the land. And as we know, the people did not take possession of the land, and hence the 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness until eventually God brought their descendants, their children, plus Joshua and Caleb, into the promised land. Now, that was a consequence of sin. I take a case like Moses. However, Moses is in heaven with God today. And if you perhaps are wondering about that, remember when Jesus took his key disciples with him to the mountain of transfiguration, it was Moses and Elijah that he was speaking to. So we know that even though Moses didn't make it to the physical promised land, he did make it to an eternal time with the Father forever. So this spiritual promised land is one that's not made with hands, human hands. It's one that God has prepared for his people. So our eternal promised land is to be with God in heaven forever. So all those who accept the blood covering of God's Messiah, his eternal Passover lamb, will be with him in eternity. Now, I should mention to you that some of you might be saying, but wait a minute. My descendants are Jewish people who lived at the time of Moses or before or at some other time, my ancestors. And if that's the case, remember, your ancestors were then living in the time of the first covenant. And as long as they obeyed what God said for the first covenant people, then they are in heaven too. They're in heaven right now with God's Messiah, with Moses, Elijah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all those faithful people who belong to God under the first covenant. And one of the things to know is that under the first covenant, you principally had Jewish people who were getting the revelation and who understood what God was commanding because that word came to the Jewish people. Even then, in this time that was the time of the Jews, there were still Gentile people who heard the word of God, who believed the word of God, and who obeyed the word of God. So you had both Jews and Gentiles doing what was right under the first covenant and therefore being saved by God under the first covenant. In the times we live in today, all of us, Jews and Gentiles, are under the second covenant. So even if your ancestors were saved by the provisions of the first covenant, remember, you now live in second covenant times. And we know that covenants are sealed by blood and by death. And so it was the blood of goats, lambs, rams, and so on under the first covenant that sealed things. And God made a covenant with Abraham that he didn't even require Abraham to live up to the provisions of because God himself 
was going to make the provision happen no matter what. And under the second covenant, also made in blood, is the blood of the Messiah, is the blood of Yeshua on the cross that now opens the way for both Jew and Gentile to be saved in this time of the second covenant. So don't miss it. This is the time of the Gentiles, like back then was the time of the Jews. And similarly, both Jews and Gentiles can be saved under the second covenant. Unfortunately, we will find that many Jewish people will not acknowledge Yeshua, the Messiah, as the one that God has sent. And that's unfortunate. Just like back in the time of the Jews, many Gentiles did not acknowledge the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as the God of all. And so they missed, if you will, the eternal heavenly promised land. So when we think about the work context, remember that while we are here on earth, God has a plan for each of us. He has a plan for our lives, including a plan for our lives at work in the workplace. And he reveals more to us as we follow him and do what he says on our assignment. So at work, please know that God metaphorically for you in your workplace as you follow him and as you are led by him, he will part the Red Seas for you in a difficult workplace. You may have enemies in that workplace and God will let you go through on dry ground to the place where he would have you to go. And those who are chasing after you to harm you, to kill you, he closes the Red Sea on them, even as they're coming after you. And this is metaphoric. So we have God's protection no matter where we go. He's opening up Red Seas even today. He also will feed you with his manna from heaven. And we have to remember that the Messiah of God referred to himself as the bread who came down from heaven. He was born in Bethlehem, the city of bread. And as we intake his word, which is our daily food, as we follow his instruction, because God's Messiah, Yeshua, is the living word, then we are fed every day. We have the strength and sustenance for what we need. We are internalizing what the living word of God is saying today to his people. So the Messiah of God, when we take communion and we're eating his body through the unleavened bread, we are saying we accept the living word of God and all that he reveals to us. He will also give you living water, and that's an eternal, everlasting spring in you that never dries up. So even if you are living in a desert, that spring of living water that God supplies even exists in the desert. It's a continuing infilling of his Holy Spirit to lead and to guide you in every circumstance, leading and guiding you in every circumstance. When Jesus met the woman at the well, she was seeking physical water, 
and she came to the well in the heat of the day because her life was bitter. She had already had five husbands, and the man she was with then was not her husband. So she has this, in essence, live-in boyfriend who she's not married to. She's an outcast in society, so she doesn't come to the well in the cool of the day with the other young girls and maidens. She comes when no one else is there in the heat of the day. And Jesus is telling her, he's asking her for physical water. And she's wondering, well, who are you as a Jew asking me a Samaritan for water? You guys don't even talk to us, the Samaritans. And he said that if she knew who he was, that she would ask him for this living water that would never run out so that she would not have to come to this well to obtain it. Well, she got real interested in that because she still didn't understand that he was talking about a spiritual water and not a physical water. So even today, the Spirit of God will lead us, the bread of life, the Messiah of God will feed us, and we will walk on dry land through many red seas. And yet there will be times in our workplaces, times in our lives, as we are on purpose and on point for God and following Him and being where we're supposed to be. There will be times when the Red Sea won't be parted. There will be times when there will be trials and tribulations that we have to go through. We know that many martyrs have gone before us and have died on the way. And yet, what God promises in these situations is his presence. He promises to be with us. He promises never to leave us or to forsake us and to give us the power to endure whatever he calls us to go through. And this makes me think about the martyrs, many of whom were burned in the fire. And instead of screaming, instead of hollering, they were at peace in the fire. They witnessed to other people who might later have to go to the fire, and they encouraged people, even as they were dying, even as they were being burned in the fire or, or dropped into a vat of hot oil, all kinds of evil ways in which the martyrs of God were killed and still are being killed today. So whether you go through on dry ground and the Red Sea is parted, or you go through the fire that leads to physical death, and purifies you for eternal life. Either way, God's presence goes before you and goes on the side of you, goes behind you, and goes with you. You will have everything you need in order to face whatever challenge he's called you to face. So the questions I have for you today are as follows. Number one, will you follow the revelation that God has for your life at this time? Will you recognize his second covenant, the promise of his second covenant? Will you put your faith in the Messiah that he has already sent? Will you follow his revelation for you at work, where you are a picture to others of who God is, where you are a picture of his love and joy and trust and faith and peace? So will you be his witnesses at work? Will you demonstrate what it's like to live from the overflow of the Holy Spirit of God? 
will you demonstrate what it's like to live by the word of God, fed by his word? And that's whether the path ahead is the straight and easy path or the hard and rocky path. Three, what sacrifices are you willing to make that others may see God in you and because of you? What will be the times in the workplace when maybe you allow them to hit you on the left cheek and then turn the right to them? When you're walking with someone and they take your coat and you give them your cloak. Because we know that whatever door is ordained for us, no man can shut it. And whatever door God shuts, just like when he shut the door on Noah's ark, even Noah couldn't open the door. He couldn't let anybody in or let anyone out. So we have the promise of God. We have evidence that we can put our faith and trust in God that whatever sacrifices he calls us to at this time, that he is there with us and he is there for us. So even though the season that we're in and the time that we're in, we might refer to it as the time of the Gentiles. However, it's the time for both Jew and Gentile. And I want to close today with a reading from the book of First John, the second chapter, and starting with verse 22 and continuing through verse 23. And John the Apostle is saying, Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And that's what we want to keep in mind. The Father is the one who's calling us, and the doorway that he's opening is through the veil of the temple of the body of his Son, who was sacrificed on the cross for all of us, that his blood is on our doorpost today, that the death angel may pass over us, that we can have an eternal inheritance with God the Father, and with Yeshua, his Messiah. So in your workplace, shine the light of God, no matter what pathway he has you on, whether easy or hard. He's already given you everything you need for life and for godliness. So I say, happy Passover and happy Resurrection Sunday. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening, and remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.